Let's get right into it this morning. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20. Logan did awesome this last uh, last Thursday, so I highly encourage you to come out this Thursday. As soon as it was over, he took me out back and asked me if it made any sense, and I told him he was good, so if I can understand it, he's good, so um, I'm not the smartest one in the room, is what I'm referring to, so... Uh, so, this morning, um, you know, when, when you pastor, when you're in pastoral ministry and, and your inclination is to teach and that's your assignment in a house, um, the way it primarily works for me is I don't have assignments to teach something. I'm simply just teaching what I know we need to hear, Okay. But then there are those times God gives me an assignment to teach something. This morning I have an assignment to teach something. All right, and um, I shared this a few Thursdays ago, and I want to say this. We're in a transitional phase in our church. Uh, we have, for the last seven or eight years, been laying the groundwork doctrinally in the gospel of grace and faith, righteousness, and new covenant truths. We, we're still going to continue teaching those things. But I believe as a church, we're getting to that place where our emphasis is, is coming to where we're not only flowing and practicing the gifts of the Spirit more, but we're taking what we have learned outside of these doors. All right, So we're, we're now in this place where I think you've been equipped, and now it's time to do something with it. And um, But I began to really look at and, and just seek the Lord about, okay, if we're kind of transitioning, and I, I spoke with Jeremiah, and he agreed that we're, we're kind of in that transition. What, what is my assignment here? Because for the last seven or eight years, what I've done is Jeremiah comes in and preaches, and not that there's any gaps in what he preaches, but kind of my job has been any questions you may have when you're hearing the gospel of grace and faith, righteousness, and the new covenant, a lot of times what I do is I come and I answer those questions, such as, you know, what about obedience? What about sin? What about, uh, what about the return of Jesus? You know, th things like this. And so, how many of you know, listen, there are different pitfalls that doctrinal churches and people tend to fall into than prophetic people. Let's just be honest. Prophetic people have a tendency to get weird. Let's just be honest, all right? Now, I'm not saying everybody, but I'm just saying the pitfalls are different. And so uh, the Lord has just, just directed me to begin to address some of these pitfalls people find themselves falling into, flowing in the gifts and, and, and the prophetic. But now let me say this. What I'm going to speak on this morning, I'm just going to give you a, a spoiler. I'm going to speak on the subject of generational curses. Um, and, many, and let me say this up front. This is not an attack against anyone. I have no doubt that in this room there are people who believe in generational curses. I don't know anyone personally. I'm just saying this many people, there's probably someone. Um, I have good friends who teach generational curses. This is not against them. All right? But how many knows our goal is to see people set free? All right? And we want to teach you this morning the path to freedom. All right? So, 
And, and if, you, if you do believe this, if you do believe in the idea of generational curses, then here's what I want to ask of you this morning. Hear me out. Listen to the entire teaching. You'll have an abundance of Scripture. And then I also want you to do this. I want you to be honest with yourself right now. Remember a couple weeks ago when I ministered on faith, and I said, if what you believe isn't working, what's it time to do? It's time to reevaluate. Am I believing the wrong thing? All right, so if you've bought into the generational curse stuff, then what I want you to ask yourself this morning is, has it truly freed me from the vicious cycle that I found myself in? Permanently. Because the freedom that the new covenant offers is permanent deliverance. Permanent transformation. It gets you out of the vicious cycle. But we, we need to look at that this morning. Let's go to Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3. He says, though this is where God has given Israel the Ten Commandments. So here's the first thing we want to ask this morning. Is the idea of generational curses biblical? Now listen, it's going to take me about five minutes to answer this question. All right? Uh, don't worry, you don't get to go home then. I've got a lot more, so you know, don't get excited. Uh, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Verse 4, we're going to kind of um, go through these quick. Thou shalt not make unto thee a graven image, nor any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in... Keep going, please. Are we stuck? The water under the earth. Verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down yourself unto them, nor serve them, for I, Jehovah, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity... Of, here's why we're here. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children. And here it is. Upon the third and upon the fourth generation of them that hate me. Now look at verse 6. But showing mercy to thousands. Now in the Hebrew, I know it looks like it just said, when he talks about visiting iniquity, he said to three or four generations. And then when he talks about mercy... He's talking to thousands of people. No, it's the same idea in the Hebrew. He's actually saying, I will visit iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation, but I will, visit, but I will give them mercy to thousands of generations. All right? Now, the next one we want to look at is Exodus 34, 6 through 10. So this is where Moses goes up on the mount. And when he's there, he says, Lord, show me your glory. All right? And God says, I'll show you my goodness. And he shows us here, or he tells us what is God's goodness. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. Look here. Keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means... Clearing the guilty. Now listen, don't let that throw you off. Because what people do, remember, God's showing Moses his goodness. And people read this part and think, well, that is awful because I'm guilty. Not clearing the guilty is good news if you're the victim. Do you see that? So what God's actually saying here when he says, I by no means clear, clear the guilty. Remember, he just said, I forgive. What he's talking about here is, listen, you can trust me to dispense justice. 
All right? And then, but look here, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So, if this is where people get the idea of generational curse. The idea of a generational curse is that God may curse an individual for something their family did in previous generations. It might be your mom and dad. It might be your grandpa's. It might, might be your great-grandparents. Uh, somewhere along the line, your family ticked God off, and now he's cursed you. All right? Now, here is a very important Bible interpretation rule. Remember, we've got an Old Testament and a New Testament. Now, here's the problem with that. The early church did not know of an Old Testament and a New Testament. They just knew of the scriptures. But they still had a dividing line, and it was not a blank page in the Bible or, or a page in the Bible that said the New Testament. Their dividing line, when they read the scriptures, when they interpreted these things, was the cross. So here is Bible interpretation number one, rule number one. Did it go to the cross, or did it go through the cross? Okay? Uh, let me give you an example. Animal sacrifices. Did it go to the cross or did it go through the cross? And it went to the cross. We know it's very clear that animal sacrifices ended with the cross when, when God offered up the sacrifice that was good for all time. Right? So animal sacrifices to the cross. Let me give you another one. Thou shalt not steal. And I know, grace people, I have been grace-acuted for the last two weeks, and that's what I call being persecuted by the grace camp. I have been grace-acuted for the last two weeks for my stance on the commandments. The commandments are still the wisdom of God. They cannot make you righteous, but let me tell you something. No one has ever died not cheating on their spouse. No one has ever died for not stealing. Alright? So listen to me. They're still the wisdom of God, but they can't make you righteous and they can't make you not righteous. But, nonetheless, thou shalt not steal. Did it go to the cross, through the cross? Before you answer, it went through the cross. How do I know? Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, let him who stole steal no more. Alright? Murder. Did it go to the cross, through the cross? Through the cross. Murder's still bad. If anybody answered to the cross, I... I Listen, if you're sitting beside them, just scoot over a little bit, right? If they said murder ended there, just scoot over a little bit, right? Uh, so listen to me. Did it go to the cross or through the cross? Now look here, Deuteronomy 24, 16. Deuteronomy 24 and 16. So we want to ask, did this idea of God visiting the iniquity upon the third and fourth generation, did it go to the cross or through the cross? Look here, Deuteronomy 24, 16 Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children be put to death for their fathers. A person shall be put to death for his own sin. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. We're going to lay a foundation here, then we're going to get into some good stuff. The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, the fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. In other words, the children are paying for what the fathers did. So here's God saying to Ezekiel, what are you talking about? Alright, verse 3. As I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this 
proverb in Israel. Look here. Ezekiel, hundreds of years before the cross. So here's what I'm getting at. Did generational curses make it to the cross or did they go through the cross? Listen to me. Generational curses didn't even make it to the cross. Animal sacrifices, all the way to the cross. Stealing murder, through the cross. Generational curses, they couldn't even get to the cross. All right? Now let me say this. Anytime you see a contradiction in Scripture, the answer is either there's something in the covenants that we're missing or it's a bad translation. I personally believe this is a bad translation. And if you will look at a lot of Jewish scholars, they will argue, not in Ezekiel, I'm talking about, about visiting the iniquity upon the third and fourth generation. Um, a lot of Jewish scholars will, t will say it was simply a contrast. My mercy is for thousands of generations. My wrath, only three or four. His mercy is greater than his wrath. All right? That, I believe that was the point. But, so generational curses didn't even make it to the cross. Now, let me say this. There are, um, I've done a lot of research on this subject over the last month. I've probably read seven or eight books on people teaching on generational curses. To their credit, most people nowadays um, will... will not, they'll say that God is not the one that put the curse on people, to their credit, right? Um, but here's the problem. It's still not biblical, all right? Uh, it's definitely not New Covenant. And generational curses, it's barely Old Covenant, okay? We, we get, so look here, he gives us that in Exodus 20, he gives it to us in Exodus 34, and before we get to the end of the law in Deuteronomy 24, God says, mm-mm, we ain't doing things that way no more. Again, I don't think he was ever doing things that way, but let's just say he was. All right? So my problem with using the term generational curse, listen to me, I can split hairs better than anybody. Logan might be the only one who can challenge me on that, up here talking about religion, good and bad, all right? But listen, here's what... Getting your vocabulary right is important. See, I, 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 sometimes things are semantics, but I think vocabulary is important. And here's why vocabulary is important. When you hear a word or a term, it, it immediately does something in your heart. Um, you know, I've taught you guys before, you know, I will not use the term once saved, always saved, because even if I say, yeah, I believe, you know, Jesus forgave us of all our sins, we have eternal redemption, you have every individual in here probably has a different idea of what that term means, and it's based on your background. See, I, some people might say once saved, always saved, and what they're saying is your salvation in Jesus is good. It's not about your performance. But then some might say, well, there he goes. He's saying, I can just move to Africa, leave my spouse and children, get a, get a Ouija board, uh, become a Muslim, snort cocaine on my Ouija board, summon the demons, and I'm still safe. Last time I used that as an example and put that on the radio, I had somebody that got up with me and said, that was wrong of you to say. You said that people could have a Ouija board and be safe. And I said, you did not listen to the entire joke. Right, because people always go worst case scenario. It's never like, well, can I tell a little white lie? Am I good? It's always, well, can I do cocaine on a Ouija board or not? 
Well, actually, let me say this. No, it's never can I. It's what if someone else. Because it's always, now I'm good, but now Brian, now he might do some stuff. Right? Now, are you saying Brian would be good? Okay, but listen to me. And you guys know, I finally, I quit, I quit, I quit debating with those people, arguing those people. I, now my question is, and they come up, ask me about cocaine on the Ouija board, I say, is that what you want to do? Because I would guarantee you probably don't want to do that. But if you're refusing to hear the truth, listen to me. You know why I don't get upset when, like, grace people come at me over my response to the commandments and my view on the commandments? is because, listen, Jesus said the only reason people don't see the truth is they refuse to see it. That's right. So here's the question. Why do they not want to see it? Okay. All right. So I could say a lot more, but I won't because there'll be people say he's talking about me. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... When people think of a curse, they think of something that is caused by a spiritual force, a good one or a bad one. Um, so in that context, no, I do not believe in, spirit, in generational curses. Now, let's go to uh, Numbers chapter 23 and verse 13. And let me just play devil's advocate here. And let's say there is such a thing as generational curses. Here's my problem. The moment an individual was born again, those curses would be broken. Numbers chapter 23, verse 13. So Balaam, uh, Balak is a, uh, he, he's, he's ruling a nation, and they're about to go to war with Israel. And he says, all right, he goes to Balaam. Balaam's a prophet, not a prophet of God, but he's a prophet. And he says, all right, Balaam, I need you to curse the people of God for me. Because if you will curse them, then I can defeat them. All right? But look here, Numbers chapter 23, verse 13. Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them and, not, and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from there. So he brought him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak, and thus shall you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering. And the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Listen to this. Then he took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. Look here. This is why we're here. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Look here. Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So if you are in Christ, it is impossible, impossible for you to be cursed. So if there was such a thing as generational curses, the moment you got in Christ, they would be broken off of you. 
What God has done in you is greater than what any man can put on you. Listen here. As a believer, we talk about DNA. We're going to talk about use the term bloodlines. That's a term that comes up now. That's a nice way of saying generational curses now. It's like communism, socialism. Same thing. We just tried to make it nicer. All right, listen to me. Um, so we talk about DNA. As a believer, let me tell you, your DNA is Christ's DNA. His DNA is divine nature attributes. You are a partaker of the what? Divine nature. All right, and I got to give credit to a, to a pastor friend of mine in Texas, Anna Thieves. She's the one who came up with that. Divine nature attributes. That is who we are in Christ. That is our DNA. You got to realize, even though there's legalities to this thing, and that means our salvation is official, listen, God actually did something in you. It's not just nice words. God literally changed you from the inside out. Something changed on the inside of you the moment you were born again. And now you have access to everything Christ is. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. And I'm not trying to be rude here, but I'm going to explain to you what I'm about to do. I'm about to show you, listen, we believe in the value of family. But if you have a problem and you think the solution is in your family, the New Testament is going to deny that a lot. All right, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look here. From whom the whole family in heaven and in earth is named. This is speaking of those in Christ. Listen, this right here, everybody this morning, the corporate church gathered together all around the world, that's not the entire family. The family's also up there. The family's also in heaven. But look here, here's what I'm getting at. In Christ, you have a new family. You have a new genealogy in Christ. Alright? Um, go with me to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16. You have a new family in Christ. Look here. Therefore, look here. Look at these, look at these next three words. From now on, from now on, we know not or we regard not anyone according to the flesh. What's he talking about? This. We don't recognize a believer according to this. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Paul would say in another place, he's like, listen, in Christ there's neither Jew or Gentile. Now think about that. There's neither Jew or Gentile. Do you know how much stuff of, of this generational curse stuff I've heard people say, well, you know, the Jews, the reason the Holocaust happened was because of all this stuff they'd done years past. No. In Christ, right? In Christ, you are now recognized according to your relation to Christ. Not according to your relation to your family. Ephesians 6.12, this is a big one. For we wrestle not against flesh, here's a big one, and blood. 
Don't come at me with the bloodline stuff. We wrestle not. So here's what I'm saying. Your problem is not in here, in your bloodline, in, in your physical DNA. That is not your problem. And in, I, I looked up a Greek scholar, and he said this, my favorite Greek scholar, said the combination flesh and blood is Hebraic, referring to the basic compositions of humans. So this verse tells me if you have a struggle in your life, if you have a problem in your life, if you have something in your life and you think, man, I'm cursed. Listen, the problem is not your physical blood. The problem is not your physical body. The problem is not your daddy, your mommy, your grandma, your grandpa. That's not the problem. I'm afraid that the reason this stuff appeals to us so much, I feel the Holy Ghost on this. We are doing everything we can so many times to get rid of the need for personal responsibility and accountability. Personal responsibility, listen to me, you don't listen to anything else, listen to this. Personal responsibility and accountability is not legalism. Legalism is, I am righteous by what I do. That is legalism. All right? The personal uh, accountability, personal responsibility is not legalism. Read the four Gospels, and here's what you will find. All of Jesus' teachings have one thing in common. Personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. Read it. And people... You know, one of the things I've been grace-acuted for last week is I made the comment, Jesus is not an old covenant minister, or he was not an old covenant minister. Why? doesn't mean, I'm not saying there's never a time that Jesus didn't use the law to show the Pharisees and the Sadducees its inability to save them. See, a commandment could never bring you life. But a commandment can make your life easier. Ask the last person who, who went out and killed someone how they're doing today. Ask the last person who had an affair how they're doing today. Um, so it can't give you life, but it can make your life better. It can make your life easier. All right. So I'm saying that about Jesus was not an old covenant minister. He came teaching. He came teaching kingdom principles, right? So things that we can live our life by. Um, second Second Corinthians ten and three says, though we walk in the flesh. We do not war according to the flesh. All right? So let me say this. So even though I have a body, I'm not warring according to this body. All right? So all of these scriptures in the New Testament show that's not your problem. Your family is not your problem. Your bloodline is not your problem. Your DNA is not your problem. We are never instructed under the New Covenant to look back into our family history to find the solution. To do so would be to look at who we are in the flesh. We don't look to who we are in the flesh, but who we are in the Spirit. This is where freedom and transformation takes place. Alright? And, and listen... I can hear somebody in my, in, in my heart saying, yeah, but listen, somebody broke one of those off me and it worked. When I get to the end, I'm going to tell you why it worked. Okay? Um, 
But listen, guys, you can't look at the freedom you have in Christ if you're looking back to the bondage of your family's past. You can't. You cannot. If you're sitting there focused on what grandpa did, great-grandma did, and all this stuff, you're not looking to Jesus. You can't look at both at the same time. I can't look ahead and back at the same time. right? So you're either looking at your family or you're looking at Jesus. I love my family. You all know I, I, I brag. I, I did not grow up with a lot of the junk that people grew up with. I was very, very blessed. I love my family. But I still look to Jesus. Alright? I still look to Jesus. So what do I believe in? First off, I believe in generational consequences. Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. It is undeniable in the Scripture that our obedience and disobedience can have generational impact. Look at this, Genesis chapter 5, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. So Adam was created in the image of God, correct? He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. Now look here, this is why we're here. And Adam lived 130 years and begat a son, or begot a son in his own likeness. Look here. After whose image? His image. Now notice, these, these Seth here, Seth, Seth was still made in God's image. But he lived after Adam's image. That's important. He lived after Adam's image. Alright, so here's what I'm saying. What you do and don't do, it will have generational consequences. Every, well, I can't say everyone. Let me use myself as an example. At some point years ago, my family, some, sometime, moved to Kentucky, all right? And when they moved to Kentucky, what ended up happening was my parents met in Kentucky, got together, you know, did their thing, and, uh, and now, guess where I was born? In Kentucky, right? There was consequences that put me in Kentucky, right? So, so listen, if you don't think what you do has consequences for your children, listen, if you've chose to, to not work and to, and to do things, listen, if you've got kids, they pay for it just as much as you do, right? But when you work and, and you provide, who's it bless? It blesses your kids, right? So there, there's generational consequences. Now here is the problem. Every believer in here has one calling. It's not to be in the five-fold ministry. It's not to heal the sick. It's not to cast out demons. You're one calling is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Here's our problem. Most of us have been conformed to the image of our family. Seth was made in the image of God, but he lived after the image of Adam, his father. All right, so, so what do I mean by that? There is a spiritual law, and it is called the law of beholding. Now, Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians 3, but we're not going to go there, but you can read it if you want to. It's called the law of beholding. Here's all that means. What you behold, that is the image that you will find yourself transformed into. 
what you behold is the image that you will be transformed into. This morning, listen to me, you are not broken. Your problem is you spent so much of the first part of your life beholding broken images. How do we change that? Change what you're beholding. See, the, the issue that many of us are dealing with is not a generational curse. It's not a problem in your bloodline. The issue many of us are dealing with is a bruised and broken heart. As a result of those who were in charge and given the stewardship of it the first part of our lives. Now, not everybody. I mean, I'm not saying there's not problems later in life and stuff. But even psychology and all of its messed up beliefs will tell us that, listen, our childhood, and I'm saying that all the way up to, you know, we're 18, it greatly, greatly impacts us. And it puts an image on our heart. And most people, now I'm, not just, I'm not saying born-again people, but most people never change that image on their heart. Um... I see that growing up in Appalachia where poverty is written on most people's hearts. Most people never come out of that mindset. Why? That's an image on their heart. All right? And so, listen, but so early, most of us, our heart was, was broken and bruised early on in life through issues like abandonment, through issues like abuse, lack of acceptance, on and on we can go. But listen, here's the solution. Let the solution is not you need a demon cast out. That's too easy. Anybody in here thinks you've got a demon? Listen, that's nothing. The problem is you'll get that demon cast out of you, and then what do you do in two weeks when you're still struggling with the same issue? The problem is you need to let Jesus heal your broken heart. You need to let Jesus heal your broken heart. Now, let me say this. I am not denying genetics this morning. All right? Um, and so I want to make this point, because what a lot of people call a generational curse, like, no, that's genetics. Like, well, you know, uh, Grandpa Bob, he died of a heart attack. His uncle died of a heart attack. My brother, he's already had heart issues. I'll probably die of a heart attack. Okay, listen. Hereditary health problems are not generational curses. They're just, they're just part of your physical makeup. But let me say this. This is important. His inheritance is greater than your genetics. Health and healing is provided for every individual in Christ. Right? So, good news. You don't have to live, live according to your genetics. Now, you may be able to look at that stuff and say, you know what, I should probably use some wisdom in this area. Right? Um, but, ultimately, listen, in, in this inheritance that you have in Christ, it's greater than any genetic makeup you have on the inside of you. Um, second, this is a big one, and this goes to what Jeremiah's been talking about the last month or two. 
So I believe in generational consequences. I also believe in generational strongholds. Generational strongholds. A generational stronghold, I put this in my notes, is a learned belief and behavior pattern that does not line up with the inheritance we have through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Some of us got these strongholds from our family. Some of of us got these strongholds in previous relationships. Some of us got these strongholds being indoctrinated in school. Some of us got these strongholds, uh, you know, at, you know, just throughout in, in church, right? But strongholds, it's something that has to be learned. It's the result of the image that you behold. Um, so the, the problem isn't what your parents did. The problem is what your parents said and did that you picked up on. And now you say and do those same things. I did not understand this until I became a parent. Now let me explain. I had, I mean, I grew up in just a, I was blessed in the house I grew up in. But now, the way problems were dealt with for most of my life was through extreme anxiety and the need to control because of that. And I can remember up until we had kids, I was like, I don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with that. I don't struggle with that. Then I had kids, all of a sudden, I found myself trying to control. And I'll be honest with you, to this day, it's something, it's a stronghold I'm still casting down. Right? So a stronghold that, that, that ran, it, an image that I beheld was anxiety. And out of that anxiety, the way to solve that problem is control. All right. So, so many of us, growing up, we learned how to deal with problems. And we're not doing it intentionally, but all we're doing is we're just mirroring what we've seen growing up. What we've seen through, and maybe it wasn't your family, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a pastor, maybe you, we just tend to mock and mimic and mirror what we've seen other people do. Listen, it was ingrained in our heart. So, and I'm getting at that to say, listen, these mindsets that people had that we grew up around, they were certain attitudes towards God, sin, and people. And the problem is, so many, so many times, we picked up on those attitudes. I am amazed at how many people I talk to, and to them this thing is black and white, this issue they're talking to me about. And then when you suggest some gray, it blows their mind. Why? Because all, all they know is the, the, the image that they grew up beholding. Okay? So, so 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5, it talks about how we cast down strongholds. Listen, you break a generational stronghold the same way you cast down a personal one. Right? You just cast it down. Now listen here. Let me say this, guys. The only, here's what I'm getting at. Let me just, I'm, I'm getting too complicated. Let me say this. The only process for transformation and for freedom prescribed in the New Testament is put off the old man, put on the new man. Or we could call that mind renewal. Because you can say, listen, because of this issue in my family, 
I'm, I, I think I've gave the demonic an, in, an inroad. All right, listen, we'll deal with the demonic here in a minute, but hear me out. You need your mind renewed. And the reason we like the idea of, okay, you just lay hands on me and we'll get that demon out. The reason you like that is because it's a shortcut. It's people offering you a shortcut to freedom. There are no shortcuts to freedom. If you've got a demon, we can cast it out and you'll get some relief. But that does not equate freedom and transformation. Yes, we have to renew our mind to the truth. So here's what I'm saying. Put off the old man. What's the old man? Grant Fraley, anxiety, control, uh, codependence. Put that off. That's not me. What's, what's Grant Fraley? In Christ, peace, 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 trust. That's the new man. I don't identify with anxiety and control and codependency. I identify with peace, trust, freedom. But we have to renew the mind, and there is no shortcut to renewing the mind. I cannot lay hands on anyone in here this morning that your mind be renewed. And if anyone tells you that, they're lying to you. It won't work. It won't work. Mind renewal is not automatic. Now, did a, now listen to me. A, a change took place on the inside of you when you were born again. Your spirit is sealed. Your salvation is secure. But listen, a lot of us, now some people, I knew some people who came into Christ and they got instantly, instantly delivered from like everything they struggled with. But now most of the people I know, they had like this freedom for about two weeks. And then all of a sudden, trouble came. Persecution came. And what did they find? They began to experience those same mindsets. They began to realize, they began to see once again that image that they had spent years beholding. All right? So, the third, so I believe in generational consequences. I believe in generational strongholds. The third thing I believe in, this is a big one. I believe in generational blessings. Why do we put so much emphasis on the curses but not the blessings? How come there's not people going around? Well, I can tell you why. It doesn't make as so much money. Generational curses will make you a lot of money. All right? But how come people's not going around saying, listen, if you will uh, get born again, live for Jesus, teach your family about God, listen, your, your family's going to feel that impact for thousands of generations. And they will. Right? But I'm just saying, the curse stops. If there is a curse working in your life, the moment you choose blessing, you know what you get? Blessing. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. Very, very familiar scripture. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. Look here. Look how easy he makes this. Therefore, choose life. He did not... And listen, so we're talking about the children of Israel. I've been reading through uh, uh, Numbers and Deuteronomy this past week. Something I find interesting is, if generational curses was a thing, then why didn't 
Why isn't that what happened with the children of Israel in the wilderness? The children of Israel, remember, they sent the 12 spies into the promised land. Ten came back and were negative. Two came back and were positive. What did God say? This generation that rejected me, you'll die in the wilderness. But your children, they'll enter in. If generational curses was a thing under that law, then God would say, sorry for three or four generations, I can't let any of you in. But he didn't. So I'm just making the point, it's not new covenant, it's barely old covenant, I don't think it's biblical at all. All right? So, but, but look here. So we choose life. Or, yeah, we choose life. But look here what it says. That both you and your descendants may live. Isn't it interesting he didn't say die? That you and your descendants will die if you choose death? That's how merciful God is. He says, I'll bless generations. But I only curse, but as far as curses go, as far as death goes, that's on you. If you choose death, you get death. But you know what your kids have the opportunity to do? Life, death. Blessing, cursing. You choose. All right? Now, let me say this, and I don't want to spend a long time on this, but curses, curses are a real thing. Um, I'm going to oversimplify the word curse. Because we hear that word and people have made it spooky. It's like some magic spell that someone can put on you and you're going to start doing things against your will. Biblically, that's not a curse. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Biblically, a curse is, listen, a spoken negative. Anything that's against what God says. And, and how do I know curses are real? Because blessings are real. And over and over, God will say, bless only and curse not. James says, James said, he said, listen, from the same mouth, that tells me that curses are something that comes from the mouth. Do you know the word blessing? We think of blessing this way. We think of blessing as, you know, Hannah's thirsty and I give her this water. And she would call that a blessing. That is a blessing. I admit, you're thirsty, I gave some. But biblically speaking, a blessing is not something tangible. A blessing, look it up in the Greek. A blessing is me speaking positively over her. Me releasing something in her life. You cannot disconnect words from the spiritual realm. And listen, when somebody blesses you, there's power in that. And there's power when someone speaks negatively over you. But listen to me. Hold on. Hold on. Listen to me. But curses only work in your life. Something negative someone has spoken over you, it only works in your life when you let it penetrate your heart. When you come into agreement with it. So here's, here's what I'm saying. The power isn't in the curse. Even what someone said about you negatively, the power's not in that. The power's not in them. The power's not in the witch. The power's not in the Ouija board, okay? The power's not in that. What's the power in? The beliefs of the heart. I got to preach in Cincinnati this evening, and I'm going to and what I'm going to minister on there is how we have to guard our heart. And it's something so many of us look. Go with me to Proverbs twenty-six, two. This is such an important scripture. 
Proverbs 26, 2. Like a, let's see here. Like a, flit, a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without cause shall not alight. Here's what that means. A curse without a cause cannot land. Going with what we're saying today, if there's a curse, look at me, I'm using quotations. If there's a curse in your life, there's a reason for it. I agree with the generational curse people on that. But the reason is not... Grandma and Grandpa, the reason is not Mommy and Daddy. The reason is not, you know, my great uncle was a Freemason. That's not the issue. The issue is right here. Right here. There's something in your heart that you've believed. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard the heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Your heart predominantly, or your life predominantly is simply going in the direction that your heart is programming it to go in. All right? Because here's, 1 Peter 5, 8 says, the enemy goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That means if the enemy's devouring us, no condemnation here, but we're putting our lunch out there for him to eat. All right. Now listen, I'm not saying that everything in your life uh, that's bad is your fault. It's not what I'm saying. We live in a fallen world. Stuff happens, right? But if you feel like you're in this vicious cycle, if you would look at your life and say, I'm cursed. I am cursed. Nothing ever goes my way. There's something in your heart that is allowing that. Okay? In the Hebrew language, the heart and the house are connected. All right? Um, And the Hebrew language was made in a way that it would paint an image on your heart. So when we learn that a heart and a house go together, here's what image that's supposed to paint on the inside of you. Your heart is like a house. All right? Let's use this church building, for, for example. In this building, there are access points. One back there, one back there, and then there are these windows. So we have these access points. All right. How do we keep anyone who we don't want in here? Let's say, you know, the day when we leave, we lock the doors and windows. The way a thief would enter, now I know there's breaking in and stuff like that. That's kind of, yeah. But that, the first thing they would do is they could see if they could access one of these points. Is a door, did they leave a door unlocked? Did they leave a window unlocked? All right. So here's what I'm saying. Your heart is filled with access points. And if you don't make sure those access points are locked down, then the thief, if you leave one unlocked, the thief will come in and he'll do the stuff you do not want him to do. He'll take from you. He'll steal, he'll kill, and if he can, he'll destroy. Right? So what are some, what are some access points to the thief that we allow in our heart? Unforgiveness. Now this is a big one. This gets me grace-acuted. But listen, unforgiveness, it's the one that Jesus taught. It's the one that Paul taught as something, listen, that just gives the enemy access into your life. I love that we go to Mark 11, 22 and 23. 
24, Therefore have faith in God. I say to you, whoever says to the mountain, the mountain to be removed. Verse 24, Whatever you ask, believe in prayer, you receive. And we say, yes, new covenant. Next verse. And if you don't forgive others, God will forgive you. And we're like, old covenant. That part don't count. Old covenant. Here's your problem with that. Couch theologian. There is not. Listen to me. There is not. And I listen, some of my favorite grace preachers teach this. And I honor that. But listen to me. There's not one, not one verse in the Old Testament that says forgive and you'll be forgiven. Not one. What's, what's Jesus talking about? Quit seeing everything vertical. You know what Jesus was saying? I can't force you. I can't heal you of anything that you refuse to let go of. The word forgive means to send away. To let go. So when you forgive someone, what someone's done to you, you're saying, you know what? I'm letting go of that. That's not going to affect me anymore. And you know what God says? Now I can heal that heart. So it's not legal. Don't think legal. Right? It's something that happens in your heart. But, oh gosh, okay. So unforgiveness, let me just put some of these I put here. Unforgiveness, anxiety, lust, fear, unhealthy self-image and worth, anger and hatred. These are things that give the enemy access into our lives. We, when we, we refuse to close those access points of the enemy, man, we're just opening ourselves up to be devoured. There's so much power in the heart. Well, didn't I get a new heart? Okay. Help me, Jesus, not preach my... You're going to have to come to Cincinnati if you want to hear this. Like That's all I know to tell you. Um, something I find interesting is Paul prayed that the Ephesian church would be rooted and grounded in the faith that Christ may dwell in their hearts. Was your, your spirit was born again, but listen, your heart, your heart's just your belief center. And you can be born again, but your belief center, your beliefs are all out of whack. All right? And maybe, and if you'll renew your mind, Christ will dwell in your heart, so to speak. Logan talked about Thursday night about the, you want to know what Christ looks like? You want to know what God looks like? Go to Galatians 5, 23. The fruit of the Spirit. That's who God is. So, if Christ is dwelling in your heart, if He's the one that's on the seat of your heart, then you're going to see love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, all these things. But listen, if the enemy has found an access point, you're going to feel anxiety. You're going to feel depression. You're going to feel fear. You're going to feel a low self-image and worth. You're going to feel uh, all of these things. Okay, you can come to Cincinnati. I'm done. I can't, I can't do that. I can't do that. Okay. So, putting on the new man, renewing the mind, is the way we continually guard our heart. That is the way we continually guard our heart. Now, let me say this. Where, and I'm, I'm almost finished, where does the demonic come into play at all with this? Uh, here in a few weeks, I'm going to do a message only on demonic activity. Um, but let me say this when it comes to generational curses. I believe that there, are, there is such a thing talked about in the Bible as what's known as familiar spirits. Now, the term familiar spirits is one Hebrew word. 
And when you look it up, it means a knowing one. And when you do a little research on that with, with the Jewish writings and things like that, the idea you get is that these are possibly spirits who are assigned maybe to families, maybe to areas, maybe to, uh, you know, uh, just all that. So I believe that there is such a thing as familiar spirits who they've watched you. They knew your mom, they knew your dad, they knew your grandmas, they knew your grandpas. They know how you all are wired. They know that bunch has got a short fuse. I'm not saying identify with that, okay? I'm not saying identify with that. But their thought is, well, their grandpa was saved, and you could tick him off in a heartbeat. They're, they're after his image. Let's try to tick them off in a heartbeat, all right? That's where you see alcoholism running families. That's where you see, you know, this stuff can come into play. But again, remember, what's the solution? Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Is there times that the demonic needs to be dealt with? Yes, but I'm going to tell you something. I'll talk about it in a few weeks. We give the enemy and the demonic way too much credit. Read the four Gospels and then read the book of Acts. And I want you to notice how demonic activity plummeted. Now, I'm not saying there is no such thing as demonic activity. I think people make a mistake in acting like that's not a thing, just a figment of our imagination. I don't believe that at all. But the Bible, Paul would teach that before the cross, they were organized. There was this organization to the demonic realm. There was, you know, the, the enemy, he was the general, and he had an army, and they were organized. But in the Greek, it, is, it says that Jesus confused them. He broke apart their organization. Okay? And let me tell you something. Let me say this. Any army, any enemy uh, who have a goal to destroy, they're not very faithful to each other. Okay? So let me just throw that out. So they're not as organized as the angelic realm because they're submitting lovingly and gladly to their superior, all right? But, so listen, does that stuff play a part? Sure, there, there's probably a place for that. And then let me say this. Galatians 3.13 says, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. I want to make this point too. Just because you are, just because you've been redeemed from the curse of the law, that does not mean the enemy will not try to use it and attach it to you. All right, he, that, that's not what that, look here, but, but again, you have to remember, you still have a choice. The enemy, God will never take your choice, and the enemy can't take your choice. Matthew 16, 19, I want to read this, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified verse. I didn't give it uh, for the screen, I, so listen to me. This is out of the Amplified. I will give you the keys or the authority of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind forbid to be improper, and listen here, unlawful, on earth will have already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose or permit and declare lawful on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. So here's what that's saying. Did something legal, we are not legalists, but we do have a legal salvation. Do you realize that terms like justification, inheritance, condemnation, 
All these things are legal terms. All right? Um, so we do have a legal salvation. And here's what this is saying. Legally, the enemy can't do anything to you. And here's why I'm saying that. There are some people I even I honor and I look up to um, that's impacted my life greatly. They'll say, listen, when you sin, you give the enemy legal access into your life. Not if you're a believer. If you're an unbeliever, he already has legal access into your life. If you're a believer, he never has legal access into your life. Never. Never, ever, 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 ever. All right? So what we need to learn is, renew the mind, we need to learn what has been provided for us. And anything in our, in our life that contradicts our inheritance in Him, we need to resist that. We need to declare that unlawful. Binding and loosing has nothing to do with the demonic. Binding and loosing is, that's illegal in my life. Here's what's legal in my life. It will look like sickness is illegal in my life. I rebuke it. I resist it. I do not allow its place here. Healing, health is legal in my life on the basis of the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I release that. I loose that into my body in Jesus' name. That is binding and loosing. I just saved you $15 from that demonic <laughs> binding and cursing book. All right? We're going to go to John chapter 8, verse 31 here in a minute. But before we do, I want to address this question because I can just hear somebody asking it. Maybe not here. Maybe it's on the live stream. But what a, Okay, if, if what you're saying is true, then why did someone break a generational curse off of me and I experienced freedom? You want me to tell you why it worked? Because you believed that it would work. The power was not in the breaking off of a generational curse. The power was in you believed in your heart that it would work. Um, give you an example. The woman with the issue of blood. It said, she said within herself, if I may touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. There is not one scripture in the Old Testament that said if you'll touch a rabbi's hem, you will be healed. Not one. So she wasn't standing on scripture. But that was something that she had determined in her own heart. I'm not saying it's wrong. She got healed. How many knows healing's good? Healing's always good. You get healed, praise God for that. But she's the one who determined the conditions of her healing. And that was not even a thing until she did it. She does it and gets healed. And listen, but here's what I love. Jesus comes to her. Now, he does say, he said, who touched me for virtue came out of me, right? And when she tells him, you know, that it was her and she realizes she's healed, Jesus did not say, daughter, because you touched the hem of my garment, you've been healed. What's he say? Your faith has healed you. So it wasn't the touching his him that healed her. It was the faith in her heart that healed her. So you can have, you can, if you settle, if you settle in your heart, all right, I'm going to get Logan to pray for me, 
And then after he prays for me, I'm going to jump up and down three times and do a cartwheel, and then I'll be healed. If, now, I know that sounds ridiculous, and I'm being facetious, but if you truly believed in your heart that would work, it would work. But I got good news. It's easier than that. It's easier than that, right? But listen to me. And here's something I find interesting. It's never mentioned in Scripture. There's no word about, you know, if you'll touch the hem of a rabbi's garment, you'll be healed. That's not listed as a condition for healing anywhere in the Scripture. But something I find interesting is, so this woman gets healed, and I'm just assuming, I could be wrong, I'm assuming she went and posted about it on Facebook. And what happened was, people read it on Facebook, and then you read either a chapter or two later, that as many as touched the hem of his garment were healed. Where'd they get that from? They read her Facebook post. They heard word of mouth, okay? They heard that this woman had received healing through, the hem, through touching the hem of Jesus' garment, so they thought, if all I can do is touch the hem of his garment, then I'll be healed. But here's something, listen, think like this. I think like this when I read the Scripture. If it says, as many as touched the hem of his garment were healed, you know what that tells me? That there were probably people who said, if I can touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed, and they, weren't, they didn't touch his garment, so they weren't healed. Not because God set the conditions, but because they had set that condition in their heart. People do this with healing. You have to be careful. I don't care what somebody comes to you and says, listen, Christy, I've seen crazy results with this. All right, this generational curse stuff, I found that when I do it, it works. I don't care. I don't care. That doesn't matter to me. We've seen that with the Word of Faith movement. I thank God for the Word of Faith movement. Kenneth Hagin has greatly impacted my life, but Kenneth Hagin got a healed as a teenage boy, and the Word of Faith movement took how he got healed and made an entire movement out of it. And he got healed based on the woman with the issue of the blood. Right? And so because of that... People say, well, that is the story, how to get healing. Listen, if Kenneth Hagin would have got a hold of, of if somebody spit in, my, spit in my eyes and I'll be healed and got healed that way, that would have been where they took that movement. See, we just, we're always, we're always looking to man, all right? And we think, okay, remember, that's the image we're beholding. <sighs> now I'm going to get word of faith acuted. Great. <laughs> I already know that's coming now. I can. I already. And if you're listening, I already know who you are about to pop in my inbox. <laughs> I know I, I'm deep on the front, but don't grace keep me on the back. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'm I'm coming to a close. Okay, I gotta I gotta stop. All Yep. Yep. It's a thing that we do. 
when we start putting our trust in all effort to obtain a promise, rather than realize the promise is already there. And, and something I got my my head, the Lord got my head part around is we have everything for life and godliness. And godliness. Yep. Faith is a key that unlocks it. As one thinketh in his heart, so is it. Mm-hmm. So the whole point of hearing our mind renewed is getting keys to unlock the promises that yep. are inside of us already. Yep. Not to obtain them. That's the difference. Like Jesus, it's finished. We have it all. The point is getting this lined up to believe in what he's already done. And that's why we have to get into the word and have it renewed. Yep. Because this thing has been messed up by what we've seen. About Proverbs 2, because an eyes are a lamp into the soul. So what you see, what you focus on, is how what will affect how you believe, how you think. When we get into the word, when we spend time with the Lord, as we behold him with unveiled face, we are transformed from glory to glory. And man, this what that does is it takes the responsibility off you and it puts it on Jesus, and you just enjoy your relationship with Jesus. And the more you spend time in the Word, it's not about coming to something. It's about just being with Him and being in relationship with Him and Him changing you and you coming into more of alignment of what's already been done for you. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's what allows us to come into the rest of the Lord that He's talking about, that He's called us to. Even that, it just happens. It happens as you believe rightly. I mean, and I just want to encourage you, brother. That's, that's where He's going with all this. It, yeah. it, it's faith righteousness. You feel the continuing thing there. Mm-hmm. It's the realizing that you already have it. You don't have to beg the Lord for it. Yep. Not, I mean, he's not that way. He's not neither. You know, he doesn't hold the things from us. He's just trying to get our minds renewed to the truth so we'll walk in what we have already. Yep. John eight thirty one, and we're finished. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, this goes right along with what Brian was saying, if you abide, now notice this, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Verse 32, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So if you don't abide in the word, then you don't get the truth? Because you're not renewing your mind. Okay. So any, any freedom you experience is not permanent. So the way to, to permanent transformation, the way to permanent freedom is to renew the mind. How do you do that? Abide in His Word. And where, what do you find in His Word? The truth. And what does the truth do? Make you free. It's not your genealogy that's going to... Listen, it's not Ancestry.com that's going to set you free. It's the truth. Verse 33, they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Many of us are slaves to the wrong thing. We're slaves. We're slaves to what has ran in the family for generations. The answer is not get a demon cast out. The answer is renew the mind. Make a choice. 
Do you know what repentance is? Help me, Jesus, not preach. Do you know what repentance is? It's just changing your mind, right? Now, now listen, I know a lot of people, they try to act like behavior. No, listen, when you change your mind, your behavior will change. I don't ever want to divorce the two like some people do. I'm not sitting there saying, well, you can just say the truth over and over and over, and that's repentance. No, when you believe something in your heart, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What's he saying? As a man believes...